welcome once again into the Radiopedia reading room. The sleigh bells are ringing in our one-horse open MRI scanner. <laughs> My name is Andrew Dixon, and joining me, the goatiest Grinch of all, it's my co-host, Frank Gaylard. Maybe not so much a Grinch, but temperamentally ill-suited to Christmas festivities. <laughs> Let's go with that. Sounds like a Grinch. In Australia, Christmas is hot. You have to go to the beach. You have to talk to relatives. This is not Frank. <laughs> You know, the last few years I have discovered something that has really helped me embrace summer much more, and Mm -hmm. that is full-length wetsuits. Okay. (laughs) It's fantastic. You go to the beach, no more sunscreen problems other than a little bit on your face, no more horrible cold water, no more sand everywhere. And because you start overheating if you're out on the sand, it's a great reason to spend most of the time there on your own in the water with the kids (laughs) throwing them in waves. It's awesome. This is perfect. Just the vibe I was hoping for from you, Gaylard, a man ill-suited and less wet-suited to Christmas. (laughs) Uh, Well, to counter your lack of Christmas spirit, I'm going to try and sprinkle a little festive dust into all our usual hostful (laughs) segments today. So segments like Journal Club, Letters and Feedback, Cognitive Bias Corner, I'm calling it that now, corner, (laughs) and everyone's favourite segment, What You Up To? Plus, I trust you've got a Christmas-themed meat story ready to share. I figured that would be required, yes. (laughs) Good, I'm excited. (laughs) I'll accept a turkey story and nothing else, mate. (laughs) Now, I've also enlisted a bit of help from a website Mm. called Podcastle. See what they did there, Podcastle, and their eight timeless Christmas podcast ideas (laughs) for the perfect episode. (laughs) Oh, please, no. Just eight. It's only eight. (laughs) (laughs) Tip one, you want to hear that? All right. Hold a Christmas podcast episode with a special guest. Ah, we've already failed. For instance, you can talk to an expert or a historian who can share fascinating Christmas tales from the past. What what a very specific idea. (laughs) But does it have to be Christmas related? I mean, it narrows it down so much. It's like if you're going to speak to a historian, you can only ask them about things that happen, what, after two, three, four hundred CE? Because no one was (laughs) celebrating Christmas before that. And then only in Western Europe for the next millennium? Nah. I I think there's so many interesting things you could ask a historian and almost none of them overlap with Christmas. That's a a hard pass. (laughs) Oh, mate. You're wearing your Grinchy wetsuit, I can can see. (laughs) Uh, How about tip number two? Share cooking recipes and DIY projects. Uh, Got any Christmas recipes? Is this where you expect me to come up with some Christmas-themed cocktail? (laughs) Yeah, you could. Classic cocktails have no seasons. If they're not good enough to drink during the rest of the year, they're not good enough to drink at Christmas. But if I had to pick, I guess, a cocktail for the Christmas season, it's really only a really hot summer drink. It'll be the mojito, but there's nothing very Christmassy about that. You could decorate it with holly and then get the spines (laughs) stuck in your lips. (laughs) Or you can add a little allspice to it or something like that to give it that Christmas Mm, cake feel. I suppose you could. (laughs) Uh, DIY. I mean, I do occasional jobs, particularly not so much around our real house because Natalie won't have me touch the real house. (laughs) But down at the beach, the house is falling to bits so I can kind of do whatever I want down there. Last year, my son and I built a Christmas tree stand for the Christmas tree, which wasn't really a Christmas tree. It was a roughly Christmas tree shaped tree that fell over in the backyard. And so we built a stand out of four by twos and it fell over. 
and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> Sounds like that tree was destined to fall over one way or the I think other. It was. My father-in-law, I often spend Christmas with the in-laws and my father-in-law absolutely loves a DIY project and he'll have one lined up every year ready to go when you get down there and it almost invariably involves heights, you know, getting up a ladder, doing crazy things. I remember holding a a drill above my head, standing on a little concrete cinder block or something (laughs) to try and get extra height. Oh, so he expects others to be involved. No, no, he gets up the ladder too. Yeah, and so I go there often to try and stop him from injuring himself, (laughs) but then I get into situations where I'm like, oh, even I can't do this. I mean, I know I'm like, you know, he's in his 70s, but actually it reminds me, did you see there was a tweet the other day with the US President Joe Biden standing up a ladder, putting some decorations <laughs> on his Christmas tree. <laughs> and a doctor's like tweeted out and he's gone, you know, public service announcement. If you're 81, the leader of the free world and on Eloquist, please don't climb ladders. <laughs> it's pretty true though, isn't it? I don't know what annoys me more though about that tweet, you know, the president climbing a ladder or the American exceptionalism, the leader of the free world. <laughs> that term gets me. Yeah. Not to mention the use of the brand name, you know, Eloquist rather than a Pixabay. <laughs> it always, you know, shocks me when I go to the US and the advertising, the amount of advertising for some pharmaceutical oh, yeah. brand names direct to the public. You can't yeah. do that in Australia. We're not free enough to have nope. drug company advertising forced into our brains. <laughs> but, you know, there is a downside because you don't get to hear those super fast horse race like lengthy complication and side effects list at the end <laughs> of each ad. <laughs> Like if you listen carefully, you sometimes hear some really good ones in there like may cause hirsutism, gigantism and anal leakage. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a benefit. <laughs> DIY, another DIY story. So with my father-in-law, this was quite a few years ago when the kids were younger, he decided he was going to build a billy cart and they live mm. on a really steep hill and he had two, <laughs> two kind of tyre options. He had some <laughs> wheels that he thought these will be pretty slow pretty safe and then he had some wheels and he thought these are likely to kill really go quite fast right (laughs) so he went with the fast option of course (laughs) anyway he put a brake on it as well Mm -hmm. he's obviously safety conscious so we did a few little things down the hill going okay and then you know you progressively go further and further up the hill to give yourself more of a a run-up and I've got this great video (laughs) where I'm videoing my son coming down this hill you see him kind of go past me really, really fast. Like I'm going, oh, that's quite fast. And you don't see him crash, but you hear the audio. And then you just, and then it kind of just pans to him and it's him in a fence with all this barbed wire around him and a smashed up billy cart. So anyway, he was okay, but, uh, and it's a fantastic video. So it was was worth it. Pull that one out for years to come. That uh, jump cut at the end where you don't see the crash, that's like in all the 1980s movies before there was CGI to show crashes, you swap the actor for the the stunt double, (laughs) dive behind the couch and then the actor would pop back up. (laughs) See, these timeless podcast tips, they're pretty good. We've done 15 minutes already and we've got six to go. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get on to any more, I think we probably should do one of our segments. Uh, Mm. How about we kick it off with Cognitive Bias Corner? (laughs) Yes, please. In previous episodes, Gaylab, we've covered the alliterative bias, Mm -hmm. the availability bias, and the need for closure bias. Now, for the final one of the year, I've selected framing bias do you want to have a go at defining what you think framing bias is Gaylord? i i'm not certain about this one but i think it's 
it's like when you go to a jewelry shop or a handbag shop or something and the first mm-hmm. item you see is ridiculously expensive and the price tag is very clearly shown as being ridiculously expensive so that in comparison everything else in the shop even though it's very expensive looks cheaper and you're more likely to feel that it's okay to spend seven thousand dollars on a handbag is that a framing bias or is that another bias no that is a framing bias and the great thing about that framing bias is that is the answer that you gave back when we were doing the alliterative (laughs) bias That's my one bias. I trot that out. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll be wrong every other time because it's like, I think that's the handbag one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that one is correct this time. So yeah, the Radiopedia says framing bias refers to the tendency to be unduly influenced by how a clinical question is asked or how the problem is presented. For example, a request form that presents a succinct history that perfectly matches a particular pathology may influence your interpretation of the imaging. Yes. Reviewing the images prior to reading the clinical indication can help avoid any influence. Obtaining more detailed clinical information via the electronic medical record may provide you with a more balanced assessment of the clinical situation. I'm sure you can think of lots of examples of that where like the history just sounds absolutely classic for condition X. Mm. And so as soon as you start looking at the scan, you're just like, you know, blinkers on. I'm actually surprised. I haven't seen any research in the radiology area on this. There must be. I haven't looked particularly hard. But that's a really important thing we should know what the effect size of that is Mm. because it's so built into how we practice radiology that you are shown the request and you kind of have to look at the request before you even look at the images because you have to check that the patient's the correct patient and you need to check sort of the, the, the right studies being shown and that it's being correctly done etc And yet we don't know how much what's written influences our conclusions. It feels like the kind of thing that you could create a research paradigm pretty easily for. Mm. And it'd be really interesting because I think it's a massive effect size. And we all say, oh, yes, you should look at the pictures before you look at the clinical notes. But realistically, when you're kind of cranking through, you tend to read them first. You still do need that objective information to feed into your Bayesian kind of approach because you do need to know does this patient have right lower quadrant pain because that will influence things but you don't want a history that is so classic for a particular condition that you wouldn't even think about others. Yeah but I mean imagine giving people normal studies the same normal Mm. studies but changing what the request says and see how many times Actually, that would be a good one, a completely normal scan and then trying to bias them into giving a little bit of subtle pancreatitis by giving them a a scorpion bite history or whatever. Yeah, or appendicitis or something. Yeah, I don't think that I've seen that done, but we do Mm. lots of other much more stupid research. (laughs) Maybe someone should do that. I've got a definition of framing effect from Pat Crosskerry, MD. Uh, So this is a non-radiology one, but still related to medicine. So he says, how diagnosticians see things may be strongly influenced by the way in which the problem is framed, e.g. physicians' perceptions of risk to the patient may be strongly influenced by whether the outcome is expressed in terms of the possibility that the patient may die or that they might live In terms of diagnosis, physicians Mm. should be aware of how patients, nurses, and other physicians frame potential outcomes and contingencies of the clinical problem to them. This reminds me of something we do with radiation exposure and explaining that to patients. I've commonly heard it framed when you're talking about scanning a pregnant patient 
doing mm-hmm. a CT scan, you might say that the childhood risk of leukemia by adding the, the radiation will change the risk by 50% or whatever. Yeah. Or you may say that this child still has a 99.9% chance of not developing childhood yeah. leukemia. So for that's a way in which you can use the framing bias to actually have hopefully you know, a positive impact on the way the patient reacts to a situation. Yeah, I, I think it, you do need to be careful how you use it because it is a powerful way of manipulating people <laughs> for both good and evil, Dixon. And it's related to Christmas, Gaylard, is it because really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty of psychology around Christmas gift giving. Actually, this relates to tip seven from Podcastle, and that was <laughs> talk about Christmas gifts and shopping. Oh, okay. uh, so did you know that gift wrapping itself actually has quite a strong framing effect, and it's been studied? Really? Uh, so so yeah, we've yeah, studied yeah. Christmas wrapping, but we haven't studied the effect <laughs> on diagnosis of cancer and life-threatening conditions right. in radiology. <laughs> Great. So imagine imagine I'm giving you a pretty crappy gift for Christmas. Gamer. I can imagine that very easily. Yeah, you don't have to yeah. imagine very hard. <laughs> so what do you think the research shows? So which wrapping option do you think leaves you, the gift receiver, feeling the most positive about it? Um, so it's not a great gift, but would you think fancy wrapping paper average wrapping paper or no wrapping paper at all will leave you feeling better mm, that's really interesting because i can kind of make up stories for each way like mm-hmm. you could say oh really fancy wrapping shows that you care and that you put effort into it even if the gift isn't very good but on the flip side it might increase my expectations that it's going to be really good and then i'll be disappointed no wrapping paper is just is just lazy I mean, no wrapping paper is the equivalent of gift cards. You know, it's like, I can't be bothered. I'm just going to give you money. But not only am I going to give you money, I'm going to give you money that's not as good as money because it's restricted to this one shop. Yeah. And it probably expires as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I'd say fancy wrapping paper is still better than no wrapping paper. Well, apparently not. So Nathan Novemsky at the Yale Center for Customer Insights did some research on this, and he said that his research shows that nice wrapping paper sets high expectations, amplifying Mm -hmm. the disappointment of receiving unusual or undesirable gifts and even dimming the glow of great gifts. So he says, if you think you might be giving a disappointing gift, then don't wrap it. Even for good gifts, <laughs> spending a lot of time or money on great wrapping may not make the recipient happier or more thankful. Rather, mediocre wrapping can enhance the joy of receiving that great gift because the wrapping did not build up expectations. So maybe so don't, even, don't wrap it, just sort of toss it to them across the room and say, eh, look. Just hit them in the back of the head with it. I got this for free <laughs> and I don't want it, so I thought I'd give it to you. Some yeah. wax for your surfboard. Yeah. A pen from a manufacturer that you got at the latest conference. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's great because I don't like wrapping. I think uh, not so much because of, of this particular thing, just because it feels like one of those completely unnecessary consumerist driven things of spending $8 on a piece of wrapping mm. paper, etc. So we usually get, when I say we, I usually buy like a bulk long roll of the cheapest wrapping paper I can find and just sticky tape it around things. And everyone gets the same wrapping for every present. I remember reading this really interesting 
idea of how to frame, oh, framing, maybe it's not framing, but how to think about gift giving. Sorry, fr- framing makes me think of Archer and, and the phrasing. <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> anyway, continue. Um, have you heard of Yubari melons in Japan? No. <laughs> so <laughs> how can you not know this? <laughs> Yubari melon <laughs> is a traditional gift in Japan. I, I don't know if it's specific to a time of year or if it's just different occasions. As far as I can tell, they're just melons, melons that you would have with, you know, prosciutto or whatever, but they come (laughs) from this one town or one place and they're super expensive. Everyone knows that the melons from this place are super expensive, like thousands of dollars potentially for a melon. And so when you give this melon, even though it's just a melon, everyone knows that you've bought the best goddamn melon that money can buy and that you've spent a lot. And so the theory goes that if you're going to spend a certain amount of money on a gift, you're much better off finding a gift category where that amount of money gets you something that's really good in that category rather than trying to get the most for your money. Uh, Mm -hmm. A simple example would be if you're going to spend $50 on someone, you're much better off giving them a $50 bottle of wine, which is a pretty good bottle of wine than a $50 bottle of whiskey, which is a pretty lousy bottle of whiskey. Mm -hmm. And so finding smaller gifts and finding the expensive version of that gift is better than trying to maximize your bang for your buck in terms of finding, oh, I bought you an entire stereo. It was only $49, but it's look, it's enormous. It's got speakers and plasticky bits. Yeah, like getting the home brand 50-inch television that doesn't really look very good, you know, but it's big. Right, but just to be clear, um, I don't mind if it's a bottle of wine or whiskey. I'll gladly accept both of them. I'll find a use for them. You're getting surfboard wax from me, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) To go with my wetsuit. (laughs) I think what you've said here is probably correct, but when I was looking at that prior bit of research, something similar came up. So say you're getting someone a voucher to a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. And the same value. So you're getting them like a $400 voucher for a restaurant. If you go to the fanciest restaurant in town, but it's, you know, four hour drive away or whatever for these people to get to, or you go to their local restaurant that they've been to a lot, it's not as fancy, it's not as well Mm -hmm. known. When you ask the gift giver, which they think is better, Mm -hmm. they think it's best to get that fancy one that's a long way away, a rare experience for Mm -hmm. them. If you ask the gift receiver, they far, far prefer the local option Mm. because they're more likely to use it. It's too stressful to have to think about going away to this fancy restaurant, how I've got to organize babysitting or transport. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of gifts are not only not good, they're a net negative, especially gifts that you have to keep like objects. Someone gives you a vase. It's like, no one give me a vase. Okay, I don't like it's The chances of me liking this vase are really, really low. And yeah. if I really wanted the vase, I, I'm i a big boy. I could go and buy myself the vase. I don't need you to give me the vase, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, but then now I've got this object in my house that I can't just throw away. I love throwing things away. I love to have an empty house. But no, because my mum gave me, sorry, mum, if you're listening, you've never given me a vase. If you did, it'd be great. I'd love it. But my mum's given me a vase and now it has to sit somewhere. And every time she visits, she has to see it. And if it goes missing... Then it's like, what happened to the vase? And it's like, oh, the dog broke it or some crap. No, (laughs) objects are terrible. Experiences are much better. 
All right, big boy. Well, we did have lots of questions (laughs) that people sent in. We're not up to those yet, but I'm going to bring one forward because someone did ask, what is the favorite gift that you've ever received? Have you got one? Uh, so can I call you big boy from now on too? <laughs> sure. You can call me whatever you like. Adrian. <laughs> um, so generally I'm not a very good gift giver or receiver largely because I go on these rants. And so people probably know that giving me gifts is probably not a great idea. <laughs> I think the best gifts are those that you would never dream of buying yourself, but that mm-hmm. turn out to be really good. And my wife, uh, she does not dress me. But she did buy me because I'm a big boy. <laughs> big boy. <laughs> she did buy me some Lululemon exercise shorts, which yep. I would never, ever, in my wildest. I'm not a Lululemon kind of guy. I would not have bought <laughs> Lululemon. And these were not just the. They're not just elasticy, but they've got the inbuilt undies. And oh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like if there was a short that I wouldn't have bought, it would have been a Lululemon shorts and two ones with inbuilt undies. <laughs> and then, but I mean, you know, I had to wear it because it's like a gift. It's like, ah, thanks. This is great. They're amazing. And now I wear <laughs> nothing else. Well, I mean, you know, I wear other clothes because going to work in just Lululemon pants is probably not okay. Uh, but in terms of sports-related shorts, I now have like 12 and uh, yep. I'm always on the website whenever there's a new, ooh, does it have inbuilt undies? <laughs> yeah, gives me just the support that I need, but with lovely aeration. They're, they're amazing shorts. Um, and in terms of the best gift I've given, I, I, I mean, I don't know, right, because people lie to you about gifts, but I bought my wife last year a 12-month subscription to a Japanese snack box. So every month she gets melons, a melons, just all melons, just melons, a, a shoebox size parcel filled with weird curated Japanese treats. Some of them are salty, some of them are you know sweet, some of them are delicious, some of them are just weird Japanese treats. But it's kind of fun to get twelve presents mm. over the course of a year. Let's move on to the next one here, which is Journal Club, and I'll try and give it this one okay. a Christmas theme. Oh, Gala. Okay. Do you know the BMJ, British Medical yes. Journal, they release a Christmas edition oh, every yes. year? Yes, they do. Kind of entertaining research articles. Uh, so I thought I'd find something radiology related and I ended up stumbling on this one. So this is from the BMJ Christmas edition 2013 and it's by Rebecca Wiles et al. And it is, we wish you a merry x ray <laughs> Christmas signs in radiology. Yeah, very good. Not only did it have a pun, but it had eight signs which they discussed related to Christmas. Uh, and I thought I might test you on them, Gaylord. Uh, but okay. first, yep. I thought I'd read their introduction because it's quite entertaining. So this is their introduction to the snow-related signs section. It says, Christmas in Britain is anecdotally associated with snow. For example, <laughs> snowy scenes are found on many greeting cards. Despite this, snow rarely falls on Christmas Day or in December. On average, snow or sleet (laughs) falls on five days in December compared with six days in March. Snow was seen on the ground somewhere in Britain on Christmas Day in 23 of the years between 1959 and 2010. That's 51 years. And snowfall snowfall itself, without settling on the ground, is more common, occurring on 29 (laughs) Christmas days over the same period. Despite the lack of evidence, 
Christmas is still traditionally associated with snow and several radiological signs are related to this frozen form of precipitation. (laughs) I love these kind of things. (laughs) Just before we get into the actual signs, the interesting thing I stumbled on related to this is that not long after this was published in the BMJ, an article appeared on Radiopedia entitled Mm -hmm. Christmas-inspired signs. And can you guess who the author was? Uh, was it me and I'm dementing? <laughs> no, uh, those two may be unrelated, but no, it wasn't you. It was Rebecca Wiles oh. herself. So she reproduced the list on our website mm. and snuck a little reference to her own paper into the radio references. Is very sneaky, Rebecca. Very <laughs> sneaky. If you're listening, Rebecca, it's okay. It's Christmas. We forgive you. <laughs> But it's probably worth, just for the sake of putting it out there, that this is not something we super encouraged. Radiopedia is open edit. So anyone who's got a login and login is free, you can go and you can contribute. But that does not mean that everyone who publishes a journal article on some radiology related topic, or not even radiology related topic, medical related topic, should immediately come and click that edit button and then pop in their reference just to search engine optimize themselves. So please don't do that. We have an article that's called what Radiopedia is and what Radiopedia is not. And at the very top of the what Radiopedia is not article is it's not a place for you to promote your own research. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you as an author who's an expert in a field can't contribute to that topic, but respect the ultimate aim of Radiopedia. And if you do want to contribute in an area that you've just published, let the editors know and we can guide you how best to do that. Ho, ho, ho. That makes it Christmas. <laughs> Very well done. I'll add some jingles on there as well. I actually found it quite neat in this instance because I was like, I wonder if we have an article on Radiopedia for Christmas signs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it looks pretty much the same. In fact, the same order as the signs in the BMJ uh, article. Now, I Rebecca, who... that's a rookie mistake. Like at <laughs> least switch to alphabetical. You switch them around a little bit. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to test you on the eight signs that Rebecca listed. And then also I have some extra ones that have been sent in by listeners that they've suggested should be added to the article oh, if okay. we agree with their Christmasness. 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 Uh, good. Before we do that, though, the BMJ Christmas edition reminded me of another bit of silliness that happens at this time of year, and that's the ignoble prizes. I used oh, to yeah, follow yeah. them a lot during uni, but I hadn't gone back to them for ages. Um, for those of you who may not know what the ignoble prizes are, they're awarded each year by the Journal of Improbable Research uh, for achievements that make people laugh, then think. Mostly laugh but often you know they're legitimate articles yeah the reason i went into it is that i wanted to share the medicine prize for 2023 but to be honest it's a little bit gross and so uh, we'll just leave a link in the show notes if you're interested but one that stood out from a few years ago was the communication prize from 2020 that went to maria jose torres prioris et al who published a paper titled Neurocognitive Signatures of Phonemic Sequencing in Expert Backward Speakers, meaning that they studied the mental activities of people who are really good at speaking backwards. (laughs) Now, I didn't read the article or even the abstract, but it raises quite a number of questions. First and foremost, why would anyone spend the time to become an expert at speaking backwards? And if you were, 
how does anyone find you to recruit you to be in a, are there like <laughs> forums for these people and do they write backwards in the i don't know people on america's got talent or something <laughs> who do it no doubt did you ever speak in secret languages at school like pig latin or or variants <laughs> no. of that <laughs> no, but listening to you, it makes me think that you probably did. <laughs> you realise this has nothing to do with Christmas nor radiology. <laughs> Does anything. Actually, actually, that reminds me of something that is radiology related mm. and therefore worth talking about. Uh, I, <laughs> I have a colleague who always changes the registrar's report to mm. say, for example, no fracture nor malalignment rather than no fracture or malalignment. Mm. I bet they Anything don't get in, I don't think they get invited to many parties, do they? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's adamant that that it's correct to say nor in that situation. Yeah. But I've looked it up and sure. apparently I think both are grammatically correct. The nor just makes it more definitive that it's both of those things that are not present. I have to really my my natural inclination is to lean very heavily into these kind of pedantic things and mm-hmm. I, I need to always stop myself at work from being a slightly obsessive and doing that kind of thing like heterogeneous versus heterogeneous I've had to let it go it's a lost battle but it still drives me nuts and when I'm signing off reports I really just have to take a breath and not put in Oxford commas and <laughs> and other things which you don't it, want to add nor to your list of things that you have to add. I really time. don't. I have enough of them. I don't need someone else's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to those Christmas-themed radiology signs. Remember okay. when we were talking about those a few minutes ago <laughs> and then you got sidetracked? <laughs> so I'm going to test you on the okay, ones go. from Rebecca's article and then we have a couple uh, to verify their Christmas-iness. So these are the ones from Rebecca's article. So firstly, snow-related signs plenty of snow in australia at christmas time so the first one is the snow cap sign do you know what this is the snow cap sign mm, no don't know it now so the snow cap sign refers to the appearance of diffuse homogeneous sclerosis of the head i didn't say homogeneous thank you i said homogeneous sclerosis of the head of the humerus or femur during the revascularization stage of avascular necrosis so basically yeah it's a sign in hmm. avascular necrosis of the humeral or the femoral head all right next one okay. so so you're zero out of one zero. the next one is the snowman sign uh i know one that's pituitary related mm-hmm. so it's where you have a macroadenoma that is just big enough to get too big for the cellar so it's remodeled yeah. the cellar and then squeezes through the it's a big boy <laughs> squeezes through the diaphragma cellar so that there's a yeah. super seller component that's the second yeah. ball uh, that's not the one they've got listed here but that is a recognized kind of snowman appearance mm. the one they've got here is the um oh, they've described what a snowman is first which is <laughs> interesting Good, thank you a snowman <laughs> is a snow sculpture that has been ascribed human characteristics traditionally accessorized with a scarf a carrot for a nose yep. and pieces of coal for the eyes oh that <laughs> reminds me of the calvin and hobbs snowman strips are you a calvin and hobbs fan not really, no. Oh, Calvin and Hobbes are fantastic. If anyone wants to give me a gift, Calvin and Hobbes related <laughs> gifts are very much appreciated. You can send them to PO Box 274 in Q3101 <laughs> Australia. <laughs> but um, Calvin and Hobbes is a comic strip and there's a whole sequence on this little five or eight-year-old kid making 
snowmen dioramas of like snowmen that have been hit by his father's car and the balls are separated because it's <laughs> dead or they're melting. Sorry, random. Keep going. Random. This might be a, a two-part Christmas episode where we, we end the episode halfway through. And we'll and do then it we next take Christmas. It <laughs> yeah. uh, so the snowman sign is the characteristic cardiac and superior mediastinal contour in infants with type 1 supracardiac total anomalous oh, pulmonary yeah. venous return. I vaguely remember that. Chest radiograph. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you 0.5 for that. So you are 0.5 out of 2 so far. Uh, <laughs> snowstorm appearance. Snowstorm. Uh, no. Oh, hang on. Is that endometriosis? No, not endometriosis. The chocolate cysts that have that snowstormy appearance? No? On ultrasound or something? No, but there is a, it's not mentioned here, but there is a gynecologic appearance for snowstorm appearance. But the one they have listed in the article in mm. the BMJ is the snowstorm appearance in testicular microlithiasis on ultrasound. Oh, oh ring down artifact from all the different little microlithiasis. Yeah. And then what we have on our website is the uh, complete hydatiform mole. So on oh, ultrasound, pelvic ultrasound, yeah. that causes. Uh, that's the one I think of. I think that's actually yeah. a very useful sign, the snowstorm appearance. <laughs> Except if Frank's there because it's like, you've got endometriosis. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the Venetian blind I think you're, you're thinking about there with adenomyosis yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than, yeah. So not only is it the wrong condition, but the wrong sign. <laughs> the differential is microlysis <laughs> of your testes. <laughs> All right. So 0.5 out of what? Three so Three, far. yeah. The next one is the ivy sign. I must say I would oh, not have got this I know one. this one. Well, I know an ivy sign, which mm-hmm. is in Moya Moya, yes. the peel collaterals seen yep. on flare or post-contrast, usually flare. Yeah, because I, I remember like the puff of smoke sign in Moya Moya, but I didn't know it was called the ivy sign for the leptomeningeal enhancement. Yeah, leptomeningeal. Yeah, that's good. You get a lot of it if you have a middle meningeal revascularization, either on purpose or like a stamka or something, or a natural uh, event. All right. So I'll give you a point for that one. Good job. So what are you? 1.5 out of four. Four, yeah. Next one is Christmas tree bladder. Yes, neurogenic bladder. Yes, good, good. Another point for you there. The next one, shepherd's crook deformity. Oh, that's proximal femur. Yeah. In... Is it Padgett's? It's one of those, or rickets, or something that softens bones anyway. I'll give you one more option, one more choice to, to get 0.5 of a point. Osteomalacia? No, that's rickets. Okay, fibrous know. dysplasia. Ah, fibrous dysplasia. Okay. I thought you were on a roll there. I thought you were going to get three in a row, but no. Yeah. Nutcracker signs. Yes. Superior, is it superior mesenteric artery? Yes. Pinching. Yeah, that Whatever would be artery nut goes blood. <laughs> renal vein, nutcracker <laughs> syndrome. Yeah, but nutcracker oh, sign. Nutcracker I think, sign is different. Yeah, uh, I think the esophagus, nut, nutcracker esophagus, esophageal nut, dysmotility. Oh, where you get all the like a corkscrew, corkscrew. appearance. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. is that called nutcracker? I don't know. Just says nutcracker esophagus is a form of esophageal motility in which the high amplitude peristaltic waves cause increased esophageal pressure, leading to pain and dysphagia. The high pressure is likened to the pressure needed to crack a nutshell. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah. That's that's <laughs> dumb. That's like aeroplane tire esophagus because the aeroplane <laughs> tires are really under high pressure. I mean, all right. So that yeah, is that's all, a fail. That's, that's their that, fail. <laughs> and then one, I don't think they had it in there, but it's in our article is the holly leaf sign. 
Oh, Holy Leaf. No, I don't know. Oh, yes, of uh, Plural Parks. Yes, Calcified Plural Parks. Yeah. I'll give you a point for that one. I have, I've forgotten entirely what the scoring system is right now. <laughs> but let's go to the extra one. So these are ones yeah, that people okay. have sent in, and we can approve whether these are Christmas or not. The first one is the stag's antler sign of upper lobe venous diversions and pulmonary venous congestion. What do you think? I mean, I don't think it's very Christmassy. If it was called reindeer sign, then Mm -hmm. maybe, but not stags. I mean, those animals exist, but during Christmas, they don't vanish during Christmas. But I don't think it's Christmassy enough. So the antlers are not enough? No. Well, what's Christmassy about antlers? But but reindeer have antlers. They also have hooves (laughs) and fur. Okay. But they're fairly distinctive. Yeah, I mean, if it needs some padding, sure. But Okay, all right, so that one's out. And so that means the next one's going to be out as well. So someone suggested staghorn calculus. So that's due to chronic yeah, nah. infection, bacteria, proteus, klebsiella. You get struvite and you get these big staghorn calculi yeah. in the renal pelvis and then eventually you can get xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis. No, that's out. Yeah, no. Nah. Otherwise, okay. bear paw would also have to be a Christmas sign because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> polar bears exist on Christmas Day and they're snowy. They walk on snow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there are some snow ones. Okay. So let's see if you accept this one. So snowball sign, corpus callosum lesions in Susak syndrome. Uh, I don't know. They're not, not very Christmas? Christmassy. They're not specific to Christmas. They're winter signs. And Christmas happens in winter in some countries, but, but not even We've already Australia. got other ones. We've got snow cap sign in avascular necrosis. Well, I didn't Snow say storm. I agreed with those so, ones. Okay, so <laughs> ultimately we're going to be removing ones from the article, you reckon, or so, deleting the article entirely. Mm, I don't know. Like maybe, yeah, we have to think about this. And there's the snowball appearance of plural masses on chest X-ray where it kind of merges with the, the chest wall. And I think also this is highly um, northern hemisphere centric. There's not sandy crotch sign for Australians. <laughs> <laughs> burnt face but non-burnt body due to the wetsuit wearing sign. <laughs> um, but this one actually I liked. This one is called the falling snow sign. So still not very directly Christmas related, but describes the appearance of movement of internal echoes in spermatoceles away from the transducer, resulting in an appearance similar to falling snow when colour Doppler is applied. The sign can be used to aid in the diagnosis of a spermatocele. And I've, I've whacked a little gif here for you, Gayla. Let me send mm. that to you. Can you see that? This is a case from Muhammad Yusuf. Oh, that's awesome. That really does look like falling snow. It does look like falling snow. Because I was thinking, oh, maybe you should call it a snow globe sign because, you know, it's a cavity filled with snow, but that's more swirly, whereas this is very much falling. It does seem to be falling, doesn't it? I wonder how that I wonder where it all goes. (laughs) You could add a little Santa Claus or something in there and it would look like a snow globe (laughs) in the spermatoceal. And then if you put a Christmas tree and a Santa Claus, then it would be Christmas related. (laughs) (laughs) so you don't reckon we can add any of these i thought we could add some of them i reckon i mean you can given the ones that are there i reckon they're all probably pretty appropriate i don't think there's a lot of harm related in in putting (laughs) them there i suppose we're not officially up to letters and feedback yet gala but we did receive a whole bunch of random questions via twitter and instagram for this episode and one was what is your favorite christmas food which is surely just a segue into frank's obligatory <laughs> meat update the time has arrived have you got a christmas meat update for us i i do but i think it behooves me oh behooves oh that could be a christmas related sign that's christmas related to point something <laughs> out because i think unless you've been listening to this podcast from the very start it it may feel like frank is just one of these crazy i need to kill the 
meat that I eat kind of going <laughs> into the forest with a bow and arrow and, you know, slaughtering animals and covering myself in their blood kind of guy. And I'm really not. It's actually the exact opposite. I don't particularly like meat. And we started talking about this because I was promoting meat alternatives, if you remember, that Incredi Meat or whatever it was called. That's right. Having said that, I'm, I'm happy to lean into the meat update theme. It is kind of interesting, but I'm not a crazy carnivore and I do not want to receive hate mail from all <laughs> the angry vegetarians out there. Now, before you go on, because we are going extra long in this episode, <laughs> special Christmas edition, yes. you mentioned that unless you've listened to every episode, some people have been sharing with us via social media. You know the um, Spotify wrapped when it tells you, mm-hmm. Spotify tells you what your most listened thing oh, was yes. for the yes. year. And someone sent us, uh, I think it was Benjamin, sent us yes. his, his screen capture and he'd listened to 1,555 <laughs> minutes of us. And I'm, I did the calculations and I think that means he's literally listened to every minute of the wow. podcast. So that's... Wow. I, I don't know what to say, Benjamin. I said he was in the top 1%. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone can beat top 1%, if they've got a Spotify wrapped that says top 0.5%, then you can beat Benjamin. Send it into us and we'll yep. put you on, on the a subsequent episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, what, what have you got that's, that's turkey related, I'm hoping? All right. Now, you've heard of a turducken. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take a chicken, stuff it into a duck, and then you've got a duckin, and yeah. then you take the duckin, stuff it into a turkey, and you've got a turducken. And so I thought I mean, everyone's if, heard of that, surely. If, if I need to find a Christmas related thing, it just struck me that surely people did not want to stop at three. There must be, <laughs> you know, how many Russian dolls, animals can you go? <laughs> the babushka. And so I started looking around and I managed to find one with 20 animals. No. And I thought I was pretty excited because 20 animals sounds like- You have to start with a very small animal. You either start with a very small one or end with a very, very large (laughs) one. (laughs) Probably both. And I have to admit, I'm a bit disappointed when I dug into it. It was by Merrick and the Highway Patrol, an Australian radio show. Are you familiar with it? Is that Merrick Watts? No. Yeah, maybe, I suppose. But uh, they cheated because I think at the heart of the rules of Turduckens- is the meat has to be concentric. I thought you were going to say consensual <laughs> to being stuffed inside another animal. Uh, I mean, anyway, yeah. consent to being eaten is something that's brought up in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, really? The restaurant at the end of the universe where they've genetically engineered a cow to want to be eaten. And so it, it comes up to the table and it's, says, you know, look consent. at my rump. It would make a very nice steak. It's kind <laughs> of really great. creepy. Anyway. <laughs> No, so it has to be concentric. It has to be a chicken inside a duck, inside mm-hmm. a turkey. Yeah, but yeah, what yeah. they've done here is they've taken a whole baby pig and mm-hmm. then stuffed it with 19 other types of meat from 19 different animals, including kangaroo and oxen and water buffalo. Mm. But they've just sort of slabbed layers of this meat no. and then sewed the pig. I mean, there's a, there's a time-lapse video of them preparing it which we will not link to. That sounds disgusting. It's not great. (laughs) But like people, if you're going to go more than three animals and you could see how you could put a pigeon and maybe a quail, right? So then you'd have a, what would that be? A quail, pig, turducken or something. I don't know. You could do that easily and still stick with the with the spirit of the thing. You can't just say, oh, now we've just got 20 different animals all 
bar mixed together in a in a slurry. That doesn't count. So Merrick, you're not listening. But if you were, we are as Australians disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so no turkey for you at Christmas time. What do you guys cook? Oh God, no. no. One turkey, even when it's cooked well, is is one of the sad meats. It's not one of the good ones. <laughs> Natalie and I cooked two turkeys in our life. We, we, we spent two years in Canada where they do Christmas properly, like it's cold and there's snow. It feels like having roasts is the right appropriate thing to eat. Mm. And there were a whole bunch of expats that were sort of all Canadians that were there and we had an enormous pot and this massive turkey and we brined it and did all of this stuff and it was okay. But in Australia, no, we barely do Christmas in Australia, really. Well, we do the full... The oh, do roast you? and everything, but it does seem ridiculous. You know, it's summer, it's really, really hot, yeah. and you go and add this additional heat into your house as you roast the yes. turkey. It is madness. But I guess most traditions are, are madness. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, officially now, it is time for us to move on to letters and it's questions. It's finally time to start the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to share one genuine non-Christmas letter and yep. then a few Christmas ones that were specifically sent in by listeners uh, when we prompted them about this Christmas episode. So uh, here's the non-Christmas one from Bill in Canada. He says, I look forward to every new episode. Love the banter between Frank and Andrew. Expert insights from their various guests. (laughs) Not from us, I would like to point out. (laughs) And off-topic discussions. Highly recommended for radiologists and radiology enthusiasts everywhere. So there you go. Thanks, Thank you, Bill. Bill. He's probably... Roasting his Canada, turkey. you know how to do Christmas. You have the whole Christmas thing down, Pat. Oh, I love. I actually off. love Christmas in Australia. I love. I love going to the beach and the sun. It's fantastic. Anyway, uh, now some quick fire ones right. from our listeners. Okay, you ready? Some mm-hmm. questions. Uh, I think they're mainly Christmas themed, but I think people got carried away and just wanted to ask anything. So, what is your favorite Christmas carol? I've got one. No, definitely do not have one. Um, it's not really a Christmas carol, but we've started listening over the last few years in particular. We often listen to Tim Minchin's White Wine in the Sun. Do you know that one? Oh, that actually re- retract my answer. If we're allowed <laughs> to count that as a Christmas carol, that yeah, is a yeah. fantastic choice. We uh, listen to it a lot. And um, so I, I guess I don't know how famous Tim is outside of Australia. He's probably quite well known in the UK. but I think he's reasonably well known because of Matilda, the musical. Yeah. So if you haven't heard Tim Minchin's stuff, go on YouTube, look him up. He's an Australian piano player, comedian, musician. He's very funny. But there is a little warning that I think should go along with that is that a lot of his earlier works mm-hmm. come with a not safe for work and not safe for people who are easily offended, particularly by blasphemy. Would that yeah. be fair to say? Yeah, uh, and I think he's a very sceptical yeah. person and yeah so certainly not for not for religious people to no. listen to it although this song white wine in the sun is basically him saying you know he's not a religious person but he loves christmas yeah. because he loves you know getting together with his family he even likes the songs um yeah. but uh, although, it's just an amazing yeah. song and it's kind of quintessentially australian the things he's talking about because you know obviously yeah. white wine in the sun um is talking about you know the way we celebrate in Australia, in the sun, and he's he's from Perth, I think. Yeah, uh, so no, anyway, that's, that's the first choice. question. Good. Next one here is, do you own any tacky pieces of holiday clothing? No. Lululemon doesn't make any <laughs> holiday <laughs> shorts. I have, got, I have got this. I don't think it was given to me, but I think I just acquired it from somewhere. <laughs> it's a motorized Santa hat. 
um, that kind oh, of God. the top of the hat kind of flops around when you press the button and it sings a song as it goes. They go, have, have a holly jolly Christmas. Oh, it's the best oh. time. Of-. And and the, the, the joke with it is that you put it on and you look thoroughly bored and unimpressed and this song plays <laughs> and it flaps around. It's great. I pull it out every year. <laughs> uh, so next question, what's your favourite indoor or outdoor activity over the holiday season? Oh, that's an easy answer. I wet particularly wetsuits. We no. go down to the beach and wetsuits, fine, sure. But I have my chainsaw. There's always some dead wood that needs to be cut. At the actual beach, or this is just at the beach house? At the beach house. Me and the dog. <laughs> Don't take it down onto the actual beach. No. Imagine a guy just turns up with a chainsaw <laughs> in on a the full actual length beach wetsuit. on Christmas yeah. Day. It's be like, mm. No, no, just me and the dog. We're in the backyard chopping down some dead wood on my own. Love it. That's my special activity. <laughs> okay, that's your outdoor activity. My indoor activity would be playing board games or doing oh, yeah. puzzles. I reckon yeah. that's great. Over particularly because you know it's it's really hot. And the other one was watching the cricket. You're not going to say that you enjoy that, but that's no. I enjoy that over the summer holidays here as well. Uh, next one. This doesn't seem Christmassy. It <laughs> says pineapple on pizza. <laughs> yes or no? This is from Twitter. Hard no. Definitely no. You know my stance on pineapple. I respect your <laughs> I respect your choice, but it's got no business on any pizza of mine. <laughs> I'm not sure this happens other places around the world, does it? But we have in Australia it's quite common for pineapple to be put on pizzas. Particularly we have a pizza called a Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> and I don't know if Hawaii has it, <laughs> but we've got it. Yeah. It's got pineapple on it yeah. and ham and cheese. Um, no, I reckon it's quite no. good. No. All right. Next one. Real or plastic Christmas tree? So Christmas trees are a bit of an issue in our family, not just because last time it fell over um, and it wasn't a real Christmas tree, but Natalie is very in favour of Christmas trees. She loves the idea of having a beautiful Christmas tree that we decorate as a family and create these Mm -hmm. memories and it's lovely. But you see, for Natalie to love the Christmas tree, all she really needs to do is vaguely wave her hands around and say, I would like a Christmas tree. And then magically a Christmas tree appears because this schmuck has to go and get the Christmas tree and get sap all over himself and get stung by the nettles and put it on his car and there's bugs on it and, ugh, no. So I would quite like a plastic one, preferably mm-hmm. one that just folds up in one action, like yeah, a, yeah. Uh, an umbrella that's like, up, oh, Christmas tree's done. <laughs> it's all good. What about you? Yeah, we're plastic Christmas tree all the way. I think we use the excuse of allergies in the kids, but I'm not oh. sure if they are actually allergic. <laughs> I should but come up with yeah, that. they fold out nicely. We've got this really thin one at the moment, which is just a black, just black branches. And then they've got little LED lights all scattered yeah. through it. And so it's all built in. You don't have to do anything and it looks great. It's not the George Costanza Festivus post. <laughs> <laughs> no. Has he just got a post? Oh, they didn't, they didn't celebrate Christmas. They created a, a, a celebration in the yeah, middle Festivus. of the year called Festivus and it was just a pole. You had to decorate the pole. <laughs> <laughs> Fake plastic Christmas tree reminds me of that Radiohead song, Fake Plastic mm. Trees for some reason. I won't do my Tom York impersonation, but <laughs> if you want that kind of thing, that's why we need a Patreon. I'll break into my yes. falsetto <laughs> doing Radiohead classics. Uh, final one here. This is from at Cell Aesa on mm-hmm. X or Twitter. What is your favourite radio isotope? Hashtag Gamma Rant is what she wrote. That's not Christmas. That's not I think Christmas she was just having a go at you, mate. I don't have one. I um, looked at this and then I thought, I wonder if there's a good joke about isotopes. So I Googled it and this is the joke that came up. 
Why are helium, curium, and barium called the medical isotopes? <laughs> One, I don't think they are, but why? <laughs> you have to accept these these kind of premises in jokes. You can't question them. Okay, why, Dixon? Why? Because- why are helium, curium, and barium called the medical isotopes? Because if you can't helium or curium them, you barium. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say it properly, but, you know, it's quite fun. I'm going to crack that out with the boys. Let's bring this <laughs> ultra-long Christmas episode home with the final segment. It's called What You Up To? <laughs> I mentioned this briefly before, but this is kind of relevant to anyone who's part of whoever contributes anything to Radiopedia, really, or even is thinking about it. We've completely changed how we do interaction between editors and the community. We now have like a forum that's called Mattermost. Um, that's sort of like Slack, but you join it just by visiting radiopedia.org slash community. And then you can see interesting cases, interact with us, ask us questions if you're thinking of contributing or just hang out. And it's made a really big difference mm. to how quickly we can uh, interact and how much more informal it is, which is much more closely aligned with the vibe that we're going for rather than email. Yeah. So check it out. You don't need to be a contributor to check it out. Just come on in, say hi, and uh, hang out. And if it's working nicely, then we might think about using it for the podcast communications yeah, that's right. as well. Although I'm thinking about doing uh, an email list as well for the podcast and, and other ways to try and engage with people to make these kind of episodes easier <laughs> so that we actually get yes. some people sending in ideas and things. What about you? What have you been working on? Uh, so I'm working on some Radiopedia 2024 stuff, especially the interactive content. So we're going to have these daily anatomy revision sessions and these oh, nice. on-call case reporting sets throughout the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just designing the style for those with with Murph and with Vickers um, because there's probably like 10 radiologists involved in making various parts for these things mm-hmm. and they've got to all kind of come together consistently and, and look awesome. So working on that. Which I'm sure they will. And unrelated to Radiopedia, I'm uh, I'm about to start an improv course with a mate. Did I tell you oh. about this, Galen? No. You're not finding someone else to talk rubbish with for an hour. That's right. I'm starting a new <laughs> podcast, guys. No, 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 no. I'm actually going to the course to learn how to do improv for a bit of fun. And maybe the quality of this podcast will increase. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Like, give me a word and I'll just riff off it, Gaylord. Give me a word. <laughs> Wetsuit, loser, sunburn. Yeah, see? <laughs> All right, we better wrap this extra long episode up. How can people get in contact with us, Gaylord? Well, we're at Radiopedia on Twitter and Instagram, as well as at Frank Gaylard and at Dr. Andrew Dixon. You can also email us at podcast at radiopedia.org or, I guess, come to radiopedia.org slash community and heckle us there with any ideas and feedback you might have. Let us know if we should add a disclaimer to the end of the podcast. Do we cause hirsutism, gigantism or anal leakage for you? By all means, (laughs) let us know if we do. And if you want to help support Radiopedia, then you can become a paid supporter via the website or purchase an all-access pass to our online courses and conference. The Radiopedia 2024 is, as you know, just around the corner, six months away, Dixon. Mm -hmm. Not long, not many days, not many sleeps. And uh, if you do become a paid supporter or get an all-access pass, then not only will you be getting access to all our content, but you'll be helping us to give it away for free to everyone who lives in 125 low and middle income countries. 
And and I'm going to play this one backwards. So you're going to say it, then I'm going to play it backwards. What, what, what else can people do to help us out, Frank? Yeah, no, yes, that's right. You can also help us out by leaving a five-star review in the podcast app of your choosing. You kind of sounded slightly Russian there when you're backwards. Indeed. All right, and we'll catch you all again sometime soon. Happy Christmas and have a fantastic New Year. Have a have a great break if you're having one and if you're working, I wish that's you right. enjoyable days, maybe slightly quieter over the Christmas time, maybe not. Stay rad. Oh, oh my Stay. God. Gosh, I like this. This is silent night. I don't have any other lyrics to go, but we'll have to come up with a whole (laughs) rewording. Stay (laughs) rad. Nope, can't think of anything other than wetsuit. (laughs) Wetsuit. All right, see ya. See you in the new year. See ya. Bye.